there's such a presence now of of gays and lesbians uh, and even transgenders uh, in the media, in Hollywood, um, and just in the news all the time that uh, polls that are taken show that the American public thinks that about a quarter of Americans are gay or lesbian or gender uh, neutral or you know non-binary. And um, that's a hugely inflated number, but they have that impression because of what they see on their TV screens or on their computer screens. One of the most disturbing things that I learned when I visited Africa was how LGBT activists are trying to foist their agenda on the people there, who, by their culture, are totally opposed to it. You know, in the name of human rights, LGBT activists are willing to bribe their way into schools, government, churches, without regard to real human rights at all. In fact, in the West, one of the successful strategies that they used here to, uh, that homosexual activists used here to get into classrooms and everything else, was to point to boys and girls who they said were being bullied. The claim was that they were being bullied for being gay. Well, that argument was actually very successful in getting into schools to create so-called safe spaces, etc., for gay students. Now, that was propaganda to a large extent, and it was, however, very effective. So to try and replicate such a tactic in Africa, at least in Uganda and Kenya, where I visited, would be very, very difficult indeed. Not only is homosexual sex and its promotion in the classroom it's illegal. It's also rejected by society and all the religious systems in place in the country as well. So there are no gay kids in the classroom to point to as the victims of bullying who need saving. Well, that had to be changed. So children were recruited into homosexuality. Now, I know that sounds really weird, but here's the process. Boys are paid money. You know, little in terms of American standards, but astronomical amounts of money by African standards to be in homosexual pornography films. Once these young boys are addicted to the behavior that they, of course, are filmed, you have your gay kids. But more than that, these same victims are then sent out to recruit other young children, and for each recruit, they get paid again. It's a sick, sick system. And the homosexual activist group lobbying for acceptance of homosexuality in Uganda, called Sexual Minorities Uganda, or SMUG, stands accused of recruiting by one victim anyway, who came out publicly after he found himself with various ailments caused by the, the very behavior he was paid to engage in, and he knew he had to speak out when other children in his same situation died. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hello, LifeSite friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Each round is stamped on the back with an image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, we feature 
LifeSite's logo, surrounded by brilliant sunbursts and draped with olive branches, and each round commemorates LifeSite's 25 years of pro-life, pro-family reporting in America, Canada, and beyond. These one troy ounce rounds are 0.999 pure silver, and LifeSite has just under 10,000 in stock. They're beautiful, historic, and forever enshrining the most important American pro-life victory of a generation. This first edition LifeSite Silver Round is the perfect gift for yourself or anyone you love that collects precious metals and is passionately pro-life. And each purchase helps directly fund LifeSite's pro-life and pro-family mission. This is the first precious metals collectible of its kind that is directly supporting LifeSite's worldwide mission that you know, love, and trust. And now it can be yours while limited supplies last. Get your one troy ounce rounds of 99% pure silver today by clicking the first link below and celebrate life with all of us at LifeSite News. And to discuss this, I wanted to bring in Doug Mainwaring. Doug Mainwaring is, as most of you know, uh, a writer, senior correspondent for LifeSite. He's our U.S. bureau chief, but he's also someone who has actually experienced the other side of this question inside the homosexual movement. He has a great history that you can learn about at LifeSite News and see his conversion and just the awesome story that he has. But basically, he lived in the homosexual lifestyle for about a decade, came out, had a conversion, and then has spent really the rest of his life working to show people trapped in the lifestyle the harm that it causes and that there is a way out. Doug, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here, John Henry. In Africa, what we discovered was a ton of pressure, pressure from the West to go down the same roads that the West has all gone down to. They seem to want to foist their new morality, if you will, of sexual immorality as a religion, onto Africa. Um, and they're really doing that in a number of ways. One, it's coming from overt political pressure. We've seen from Biden cajoling the uh, leader of Uganda, the president of Uganda, um, other groups through the UN, uh, through the European Union, all giving pressure, included with asking, hey, if you want loans or kind of assistance, it's tied to kind of an acceptance of these things, but there's been pushback on that level. Have you seen any of that? And what, what do you take? What's your take on it? Well, yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've, you know, and it's, it's, it's not just, um, you know, gay, gay pornography. It's, it's abortion. It's contraception. It's like the West wants to make Africa in its own image and likeness and make it as, uh, you know, immoral and sullied as as we become over here, and uh, and I think the pressure is great in in terms of uh, demanding that uh, uh, you know in order to receive aid or money that um, that they bend to to Western morals or immorality, and um, yeah, it's 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 a huge deal. Now that is worked in terms of contraception. It appears that there's been a breakthrough on the part of the West into uh, African cultures with contraception, but they seem to have stayed really firm on the concept of the family. One of the things that uh, one of the African lawyers told me, it has to do also with their whole political philosophy around Ubuntu, but that's a different story. So there is this great political push from the West, but there's also other 
works at play. And one of them is truly deplorable. And it's this idea of recruitment. We had a video testimony of a young man in Uganda who says he was recruited into homosexuality uh, through gay porn films for which he was paid. And then he was asked to recruit others. Let's have a look at that testimony and then I'd love your take on it. Hello, my name is uh, Mukisa Elisha. I'm a Ugandan of sound mind. I happen to be recruited into homosexuality by sexual minorities Uganda. Uh, in, in short, smug, at the age of 16 while I was in my high school. They actually come with a coupon, one of their agents, uh, some of the agents that are sent out to schools, to NGO homes such as SOS, Watoto, and then the, uh, the churches. They come and uh, with a coupon, invite you to one of their activities. Of course, they have well-equipped and well-facilitated uh, auditorium rooms and then shelters where they do their gay activities from. So I was invited by one of their agents and asked to attend one of their activities. And then on the coupon, there was an indication that there was actually a transport refund of 500000 so of course for any other youth for any normal youth once somebody invites you for their activity and then they're proposing to refund your transport of 500,000 so you can now imagine how very many could be lowered into acts of homosexuality so i attended one of their activities i agreed to go and attend because one of the reasons was because i was uh, ideally interested in the transport refund of 500,000. So I attended one of the activities. And basically what they do is in the activities is to, uh, of course, give you fake lies about human rights. And then in the process, uh, they start uh, showing you, like I said, they have well-equipped and facilitated auditorium rooms and shelters where they actually have projectors and then uh, show children gay porn, how gay porn is made. And then they convince them with that doctrine that each video that you shoot, you're given uh, 5 million shillings. So I was taken through the procedure in, in as many activities as, as I went through. I was sexually exploited and uh, recruited into making gay porn videos where I happened to shoot several gay porn videos for Smug, which videos are actually uh, uploaded on, on websites such as www.80gays.com for commercial purposes, of course. What actually Smug does is target uh, children into the age of 13, 14, 15, and 16, 17. Why they actually target uh, children of that age bracket is because it is very easy for them to indoctrinate their, actually their doctrine into these ages because, for example, you are 
a mother and your child is going to school and you can only offer them 20,000. Now here comes Smug actually offering your child, a boy, 500,000. So you can imagine it is very, very easy to lower is such a boy into uh, act of homosexuality because they use money and uh, of course other things but above all is smug is actually sexually exploiting children into terror acts of homosexuality okay most of their shelters are located in intinda chigowa uh, intinda and they're known they're actually well uh, facilitated well protected by the uganda police force you will find police officers there and you might think it's the American embassy yet it's, it's, it's actually smug shelters where they do their ruthless activities from. Shelters in the gay context, these are safe spaces where actually the gay people do their shit from. They do their activities from, activities such as recording gay porn videos. So I happen to be uh, enrolled in their system I went for so many gay porn recordings because I had been promised 5 million shillings on each video that I would shoot successfully enough of course I got the money I will not uh, I will not say that I did not get the money I got the money 5 million shillings each video and I shot more than 5 videos so but in the process because it's not protected sex, uh, there's no medical checkup done before uh, uh, pre-recording of, of the videos. So in the process, I later started getting sick. So I happened to go to one of the best uh, laboratories known as Ebenezer. I did several tests and then I was diagnosed with different illnesses long-time illnesses which i will not mention so i i opted to go and have a discussion with uh with the directors on how best i could be enrolled for medication because my interest was in medicating medication so eventually uh my requests were turned away by the directors i i realized that one of their objectives is actually to recruit and once you're wasted off they dump you they've done it to so many gay young minors who have actually been recruited after they're diagnosed with different lifetime illnesses they dump them so i opted to put an end on what my uh, other colleagues were actually going through i have a number of colleagues in the gay community Children, actually, they are minors that were recruited into filming gay porn videos. They got HIV, hepatitis B, and other illnesses, and then most of them resorted to killing themselves. Others have committed suicide. Others have taken poison. So I wanted to put an end on whatever was going on. So I decided, I, I decided to uh, alert the police. I opened up both criminal and civil cases against the directors of SMAG. I wrote to the NGO Bureau. I availed them with all the attachments of the evidence that I had in my own capacity. I wrote to the Uganda police and all these are letters to affirm to what I am saying. Then of recent, the NGO Bureau came out to shut down sexual minorities Uganda. 
uh, on grounds that smug was not registered but on then other anonymous grounds that they the one that weren't stated was because i actually availed them with proof that smug was actually trafficking sexually trafficking recruiting and sexually exploiting minors into making gay porn videos and then make money out of them yeah so my advice to the parents out there is to actually be keen on who your child associates with the gay agents have been sent out to schools to recruit more children so doug have you ever even heard about such a thing before i mean so deplorable so stunningly scary yeah i mean i i've definitely heard of it before i think it's sort of the history of pornography um it's it's uh, happened in this country uh, and in, in Europe. Um, I, I know from uh, people I've spoken to, who men who are gay or who formerly performed in, in gay porn, who are you know now happily married and raising a, a family with their wife. While they were on, on, uh, in college, that recruiters uh, from the porn industry would come on campus and offer money uh, and this just wouldn't be just, you know, gay porn pornographers. Uh, before that, there were plenty of pornographers, you know, trying to find uh, young women to to perform in, in uh, their films or videos. So, uh, and, and this dates back to the, I think the 90s or so, maybe it goes back even further, I don't know. Uh, but it's it's been happening for a long time. And then I, I know from some folks I've talked to that when the uh, when communism began to fall in uh, Eastern Europe, that uh, I, pornographers saw a chance to to come in and uh, uh, opportunistically take advantage of young people there who you know a lot of them were starving, had no money. Uh, they're all thin and beautiful compared to a, a lot of uh, young uh, American. Uh, uh, college age students and so they they descended upon uh some of those countries and and created qu quite an industry over there and i don't know if that's still going on or as strong as it was but uh you know 15 20 years ago that was a huge source for gay pornography so uh, it doesn't surprise me that there's a uh that the same thing is happening in Africa, it, it sounds like it's a lot riskier because of the, the laws that are in place there. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's clearly happening. I, I, I did a little research just before uh, coming on here with you. And um, yeah, it's there's pornography using young, young, young men uh, from Africa. What's truly sad is this is being uh, done, at least according to his testimony, by SMUG, Sexual Minorities Uganda, which is a group advocating for acceptance of homosexual lifestyles in Africa and don't criminalize us, et cetera, et cetera. And what a falsehood. And I wonder, too, if they're not trying to replicate something that happened in America and all of the West when homosexuality was sort of gaining in acceptance. One of the arguments that was used was that, you know, hey, look at all those uh, gay young people. Um, they're being bullied in, in the classroom. 
they need protection. We have to make safe spaces for young gay people. And, you know, if you go to Africa where, you know, this behavior is frowned upon by society and illegal, um, they can't find those gay people in the classroom. And so recruitment and recruitment works. As, as the poor young man testifies, he, he was in those films and then uh, got addicted to the behavior um, and then sent to recruit other children into it. Um, and the disease and stuff that this entails, it's so deplorable that these people who are going to make money off the porn then turn around and use them as you know, a, the cause for, or, or a cause celeb for their own human rights battle they actually don't give a damn about these young people, excuse me. But they don't. These are young, poor people, and they're being abused for profit and then used for false propaganda on a so-called human rights agenda that's going to lead them to even more damage and destruction and eternal damage and destruction as well. The industry has always uh, suffered from... Uh... The, the communicable sexual diseases. And, um, you, you know, in this country, I'm pretty sure that there are some safeguards against that from, I hate to use the term mainstream pornographers, but, you know, that's what we've got nowadays. It's very mainstream. Um, but uh, if you go back, you know, let's say Africa is where we were 20, 30 years ago. All so many, if I, I probably, I don't know, 80, 90 percent of the, the young men who performed in gay pornography back in the late 80s and 90s, they're dead. They're dead. And, and uh, from from AIDS um, or, uh, you know, a lot would have contracted hepatitis, uh, but some just you know, would end up committing suicide. I, they, Joseph Chiambra, uh, who some a lot of your viewers uh, probably are familiar with, uh, put together at least a couple videos just recounting the lives in, of each of these men. And there, there were, as I recall, hundreds in, in his videos uh, uh, showing how in the prime of their lives, they were, were knocked down by AIDS. And, or, or suicide or whatever. But the fact is, is their lives were very short uh, um, and their health deteriorated horribly. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, Africa, may, the, the, the pornography industry in Africa may be about to go through what the United States went through. Um, nowadays, I think they do a lot of testing for HIV and, and other diseases, but, um, you know, I, I doubt that's going on in Africa. How do you think, uh, based on your experience, and you, you've done a lot of study of this, um, you read the book After the Ball, which was like a, you call it a playbook for how to, uh, you know, gain access to societal approval for homosexuality. Tell us about that. What's the MO that they used and would use um, in Africa to, to bring that same acceptance there? Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. It was published in 1989. Um, it was a manifesto 
to uh, bring about greater acceptance of, of homosexuality. Um, what, what's interesting now is all the strategies that they outlined. It's it's almost reads like a history book now because they did everything that they said that uh, they needed to do to bring about uh, greater acceptance of, of homosexuality. Um, well, you know, my main takeaway from it was is that uh, they said that look, we'll never convince the American public that homosexuality is a good thing. Uh, but what we can do is talk about it so much, you know, have it spoken about in the media and academia and 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 just everywhere so that it becomes thoroughly tiresome. That was the term thoroughly tiresome and that people would just no longer want to hear about it and just shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, OK, who cares? You know, give them what they want or, or, or whatever. And um it, it actually worked that way. And, um, uh, you know, one, one of the particular strategies was to increase the number of uh, gay and lesbian characters in television and, and movies, which has been done. And um, it's, it's so interesting because there's such a presence now of, of gays and lesbians uh, and even transgenders. Uh, in the media, in Hollywood, um, and just in the news all the time, that uh, polls that are taken show that the American public thinks that about a quarter of Americans are gay or lesbian or gender uh, neutral or you know non-binary, and um, that's a hugely inflated number. But they have that impression because of what they see on their TV screens or on their computer screens. And so, you know, that strategy outlined in After the Ball has far exceeded, uh, you know, whatever the authors had, had hoped to achieve uh, back in, in 1989. Just a quick note before we return, if you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. Yeah, and that's one area where there is real encroachment, where... There is uh, success, if you will, on the part of those trying to foist this Western agenda onto Africa. Um, the infiltration of these shows and programs from the West are all being watched on, you know, handheld devices, even among the poor. Even when I was, um, you know, in the slum, a lot of those poor, poor people had phones. They, you know, the cheap, they get them for like 30 bucks. They're hand-me-downs, usually cracked screen, but they still work. Um, and then you can get insanely cheap prices there on, on data and stuff like that. So they are getting infiltrated that way already. So it's going to be an uphill battle uh, for the fight. Um, we, we talked with um, legislative leaders, um, but then also with church leaders um, about this question. And they told us also about the attempt to infiltrate, but they have been standing strong. Um, the one, the one uh, quote that I really loved was that 
we were asked, you know, because Pope Francis has said what he said about the African bishops needing conversion on the subject. Um, the lawyer told me, I wish you'd talk to Africans about that. Seems he's only listening to what I would say was the white Westerners rather than the Africans themselves, because he described beautifully how their culture is totally not about that. But in addition, because I was worried that with the state pressure and the pressure from the church, that you know the church in Africa might cave on the question, and he said, no way. 95% of the people in the pews defend the traditional right of the family. Moreover, he said, well, in fact, my host there said, remember the Anglican bishops? They've been facing the same pressure from their church leadership in England for the last 30 years. They've remained strong. So there's a lot of hope still. In yeah, and, 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 and frankly, I, I remember writing a letter, had a letter to the editor published in the Wall Street Journal um, praising Cardinal Seurat because, you know, I basically said he's the, the greatest friend that um, uh, gays in the United States have because he has spoken the truth and never fails to speak the truth. Where, whereas our bishops here in this country are just so silent uh, or, you know, uh, go far off in the other direction of being so ambiguous that they sound supportive of every bit of, of um, political, I mean, they're afraid of the political power and the cultural power that the uh, LGBT uh, groups now have amassed, and and uh, and it's it's formidable. Uh, we all we all know it. We see it every day. I think that perspective on the part of those who struggle with same sex attraction, but nevertheless try and live their lives properly, of gratitude to church leaders and even legal leaders that defend the truth on human sexuality, the truth on the family, the truth on the danger and damage of homosexuality, both to mind and to body and to soul. You know, I think that gratitude, that understanding, that looking at them as this is the real hero for those who are suffering same-sex attraction is a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember this, but when same-sex marriage was an issue in France, there were some huge demonstrations, um, at least one that I recall in Paris. And uh, it was the Manif Portu, I think was the name. I could be totally botching that. But uh, there was a, a loud contingent of, of gays who were there to defend the family. They said, look, you know, um, I, I'm gay. I'm living as a homosexual. But, you know, I don't think... I deserve, you know, to to have a child engineered for me. I think kids do need to have a mother and a father, and and frankly, there there are a lot of people like that in this country, uh, who are quietly living their lives. Um, they're not. They don't fly rainbow flags in front of their houses or whatever. Um, they, I mean, I actually know a, a lot of them and um they don't want to have anything to do with with gay pride it it, it sickens them um 
that doesn't mean that they've reached a point yet of saying, I repent of the way I'm leading my life, but they certainly see the cultural carnage that has been uh, foisted upon uh, civilization in the Western world and that it's getting worse, not better. Um, and it's, it's so interesting that uh, so many gays really are opposed to transgenderism. I, I mean, I shouldn't use the word opposed. They just see it as totally absurd. And they don't um, they don't want the the T and LGBT to be there anymore. So, so there, there's a, a vast sort of quiet majority out there. Um, I think it would, would 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 agree that grooming is is uh, something that is anathema and they want no part of it. Let's take a look at some of the other testimonies. These are testimonies from people we've talked to in Africa to give credence to what this boy testifies. Because, of course, when he came out with his testimony, people said, no, 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 that's not true. But, in fact, it is true. And it's not only a unique case. There's many, many cases of this, as we found out from talking to educational and religious leaders there. Have a look. From my knowledge, the recruitment means I am a student in this school, but my mission is to get others in the practice. So slowly I get close to some... Um, okay. Now what I've heard is that, as you know, there's a system in our some of our schools that I am an older student or pupil, so I, I get to take care of a, a younger one. Hmm? I'm given a younger one to take care of, to, you know, get in the system of the school so that is an opportunity for me if I am a recruiter that's an opportunity for me to recruit that and uh, many some boys have reported being recruited that way so that when I initiate him and then it becomes you know they get addicted to it then eventually when they're in my place and they have another one to take care of they do the same so that's what it looks like. This movement, the homosexual groups are going to our schools. They, they go, some to, 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 to work with the school administration. Others, they recruit children who recruit other children. We have got uh, former homosexuals who have come out uh, to describe what is happening. And one of those is Elisa. Who, who has come out uh, alone to tell people the horrible situation that he underwent. And what he has told people, even in video clips, even in his advocacy, is that uh, people paid money. Uh, for example, he says uh, he was paid equivalents of 1,500 US dollars in order to make pornographic uh, video. And the other students are giving money to recruit other children. So that approach of recruitment tells us that homosexuality is not natural as others are purporting it to be. It tells us an agenda which is contrary to natural law. And the, the fact that our children are being recruited, and many have come out in the recent past where they, they purport to be couples, but when they, you go to the background of the story, you find a child has been initiated using money, using a, a control approach within an institution of, of school to, to, to believe in homosexuality. 
So, Doug, after having seen that, I mean, we've we've heard from religious leaders, from educational leaders, from pro-family activists about, you know, their need to fight this agenda, fight this agenda coming from the West. Um, What's your advice for them? Um, How would you suggest they go about trying to maintain, you know, the the traditional family there in Africa? Well, I I mean, I think that the the best advice I can give is probably what they're already doing is just supporting traditional families, making uh, households with both a mom and a dad the standard that everybody strives for, because it's the kids who grow up in single family homes that tend to be the most vulnerable to being taken advantage of. You know, we certainly saw that with priest predation. It was usually, you know, young boys who were just living with their moms and had no dad at home for um, for for guidance. That's to me, that's that's the best thing. And, and you know, go to church, go to confession. You know, what else can I say? One of the things that I found anyway was endemic in Canada, in the United States, actually all over Europe, was the refusal of church leadership to address the issue at all. They would talk about, oh, traditional family, you know, the wonderfulness of marriage. But it was funny because I think, at least during our debate here in Canada, the the homosexual activists turned around and said to the bishops who were all speaking about the wonderfulness of traditional marriage and said, we agree, marriage is wonderful, that's why we want it too. The bishops, for whatever reason here, and perhaps because they had their own problems with homosexuality and abuse and so on, they refused to talk about homosexuality at all. Um, They just wanted to avoid the issue, even when we told them, this has very little to do with marriage per se. It has all to do with societal acceptance of homosexuality. They didn't want to go there. Um, What's your take on that? Well, you you know, I I think that... um... You just got to stick with the definition of of marriage. Uh, You know, back before Obergefell, I was on the front lines trying to defend marriage as a, you know, even when I was still living as a gay man, because I could just see how, you know, two men or two women definitely did not fit the definition of marriage and that it would weaken marriage and invite, you know, a whole slew of, uh, of repercussions that we, you know, we now see happening. I mean, giving up on the definition of marriage um, back in 2015, it was like the next day the transgenderism rushed in and, and started grabbing headlines and capturing hearts and minds. And, and uh, so, um, and, you know, frankly, I, I found that the Catholic Church wasn't much help. Uh, uh, I thought the USCCB would, would, you know, I, I thought it was so great that I lived here in DC and the USCCB was just a, a few miles away and they would be a great asset in, in fighting against, uh, same sex marriage. But I don't remember that really happening. You know, they maybe produced a few white papers or something, but they weren't a great bastion of truth. Uh, and the same, and I trouble with the um, the sort of Catholic academics who were running the show uh, against same-sex marriage. 
They made good arguments, but it was mostly for the academic class. Um, and they um, lost the general population because all the general population heard was love is love. Love makes, makes a family. And who's going to disagree with those statements on the face on their face they're not false at all they're true uh but anyway um i back during that time pre obergefell uh, a number of us uh who were fighting in the trenches found that we weren't even allowed to use the word sodomy when talking about a warning against what same sex marriage might bring to this nation so, yeah, I, I think there were a lot of errors made, uh, both in the world of academia and among the, the our, our prelates. Um, so, yeah, they had to talk about something that's icky about sex. Everyone else is talking about it, unfortunately. And uh, if you don't engage and you just engage on some cerebral level, that's, you know, really apart from the public understanding you're not speaking to the public at all. Because the language was so sanitized that, you know, most people concluded, well, gays are the same in bed as a husband and wife in bed. Um, but that's not exactly true. Of course not. Um, and, and um, boy, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll just stop there. Well, Doug, um, you know, I want to thank you for that. Your witness is very powerful of someone who's been there, done that, and fought in the trenches in the hardest time. When you're seeing this uh, go on and try to be, you know, really forced onto Africa, which is alien to their culture, um, any final word? I would certainly just encourage uh, the, the church in Africa to... to uh, remain firm and strong in, in promoting the, uh, the natural family. Nothing, nothing is more important. And as, as you know, my wife and I were divorced for about a dozen years before getting back together again, um, after I became chaste, uh, about a dozen years ago, uh, nothing, nothing does more to protect kids than than uh, having a mom and a dad at home and a mom and a dad who love each other. So that's that's my my advice. Beautiful. Thank you, Doug. God bless you. Thank you, John Henry. God bless. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.